truth of the matter was, stories was everything, and everything was stories. Everybody told stories. It was a way of saying who they were in the world. It was their understanding of themselves. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Most people have their own reality. They have their home, their job, their wife, their house, their car, and they enjoy their dog and they enjoy these familiarities. But the drifter, he doesn't have any of this. Everything around him is in a state of change. I stay in places for up to two months. One time I'm down in the Keys with friends who live on boats and I'm fixing scooters for a living. I just came from Texas living in that bike shop with those guys. Work and I worked on some of the customer bikes while I was there. The reality before that, my friend in Kansas with the, the ranch and, and all that, and back and back and back. So you jump into other people's worlds. It's kind of like, yo. The tourist, he's on vacation. He's spending a bunch of money. He's, he's going to the tourist things. He's eating in the nice restaurants. The local takes, runs his credit card and is cordial and nice to him. But he does not see himself in this guy. He does not invite him to his house. So the traveler, he's got more time and less money. The local sees himself in this guy. This guy's traveling, he's an interesting cat. He will invite him to his house. He will invite him to his barbecue. And what happens is after he's around a while, he will become your friend. So what I've done is I've jumped into his reality. You guys ever seen that show Quantum Leap where they're jumping into new realities all the time? That's what it's like. I wasn't looking to live a life, a hardship life, an endurance thing where I'm sleeping on picnic tables under a tarp in a rainstorm, you know what I mean? I was looking to try to engineer a way that was, dare I say, uh, comfortable enough to work as a long-term lifestyle. I live a very easy, comfortable life. I never did feel quite right until I started hitting the road. And what happened when I started to travel further and wider, I began to meet other people like me. And uh, what I found out is that wanderlust is a personality type. Here we are sitting in the city of New Orleans, pretty close to downtown. Well, actually, we are downtown. This feels like it's going to be therapy. Let's see, man. My name's Scooter Tramp Scotty, and uh, it was in the spring of 94, it's 2014 now, that I left on a, on a motorcycle to see if I could stay gone for a, a year. And, and in the spring of 95, I went back, liquidated everything I owned, and I've been on the road ever since. So it's been 20 years to date now. I traveled the whole of the U.S., Canada, and Mexico, and time have stayed no one place any more than two months. 
Scooter Tramp Scotty is a pen name. Back in the old days, even through the 80s, Scooter Tramp was somebody that rode a Harley. When you went for a ride, they used to call it a putt. You know, these the language has changed, but I do the drifter stuff. I write the true drifter stories, you know, and some people are very interested in those. It was in the mid-90s I began to write some articles and sell them to uh, Easy Rider magazine. They had two Scotties. One day they put his name, he went by Ol' Scotty, O-L. They put his name on one of my articles, which really irritated me, so uh, I took a pen name and that was all I could think of. The editor says, can't you come up with anything better? I says, no, I can't, man, could you think anything? He said, nope, so Scooter Tramp Scotty it is. My family's scattered. My dad's in California, my mom's in Hawaii, and my little brother lives in Ireland. I mean, we're not, we all get along, but we're not tight. But they're all eccentric in their own way, for crying out loud, you know? So, yeah, maybe I was born to it. You know what's strange is uh, when I was a kid, everybody rode bicycles. And I watched the other kids, and I realized even then that the bicycle means a lot more to me than it does to them. It was something deeper. And all I wanted was motorcycles, which is strange because nobody in my family rides them. And I got a mini bike when I was a kid. My mom got for me, and I played with that for a while. I got my first dirt bike when I was, I think, 11. It's been bikes ever since. My favorite character when I was a kid was the Tramp by Disney, right? <laughs> I mean, here's a guy who lives outside and lives by his wits. I don't know if that means anything. I was a screw-up kid. I didn't care. I didn't like school. I didn't want to go. And I was a freshman the last year that I was actually in school. I left home when I was not quite 15, not because I had bad parents, just because I was chomping to get free. Cops would pick me up and send me home once in a while just because I was underaged. And my buddy's place was in the mountains in Lake Arrowhead near Big Bear. It's a mile high, and I just fell in love with the place and I would hitchhike back. It was a 500 mile hitchhike. And when I was out in the middle of that road hitchhiking, I remember that feeling then, that kind of freedom and that kind of adventure because the adventures just come. I ended up going to work. That's how I got in the roofing business long time in the roofing business for 22 years and back then I had a three-bedroom house and two cars and a truck and I had a nicer motorcycle than the one I have now and a garage and color TV VCR remote control all the pay channels etc etc you get the idea and for a lot of my friends that really worked for them for me it didn't because what it felt like to me was I spent all my time working to maintain the needs of my material possessions and I guess I get philosophical on you for a minute at that time uh, I believed kind of that my spirit existed to make possible the journey of my stuff and I spent my time maintaining its needs I worked during the week and on the weekends I had a habit of doing the work around the house I couldn't do during the week because I was busy working and I would come home from working to maintain all that stuff, sit on that couch, all dirty for my job, and uh, I'd be looking around thinking to myself, you know, this sucks. And I started looking for things to do, and I tried a lot of different things. I became a beach bum for a while, but really I'd always been into motorcycles since I was a kid, and I had friends, I started going on motorcycle trips. 
I used, would stay in what I used to call the triangle of safety, and that's where I live, where I work, and where I socialize. And as the longer I stayed there, it seemed like the harder it was to get out of it. And then I would go to leave it, and I would get this fear, man. And I'll tell you something. Um, I'd just be going over the mountains into Arizona for a while, and if I said to myself, hey, I'm going uh, to leave in two weeks, but then as the time grew closer, that little demon would start talking to me. Maybe you shouldn't go. Maybe you don't have enough money. Maybe your bike's not in good enough shape. You know, you're not going to have a good time anyway. It's going to be a drag. And he slowed me down. He even stopped me a couple times. And when the date came, sometimes I would leave with my knees tight against the gas tank, freaking out. And, and then I would leave and I'd get three hours out and I'd just start to relax. Three days later, I'd be like, man, this is great. Why don't I do this more often? <laughs> What happened was I, the trip started getting longer and longer. I started hating coming home. Then I started hating being home. And so in the spring of 1994, I left to see if I could stay gone for a year. I got 500 bucks. I'm going the, to a place I've never been. I don't have enough money to get home, and I'm terrified, man. Try it sometime, man. Sounds easy. Try it. Try it. I'm terrified. And my heart is you get pulling, screaming at me to do this. They say that's where, you know, you're called from, kind of. And it's pulling me to do this. And I split with that 500 bucks. I went to Florida and I stayed there for, I don't know, a month or a couple months, the duration of the winter. And I went north up the coast and I spent time in Canada and I rode in Ohio and I ended up in Sturgis and I traveled for nine months. I left California with 500 bucks. I got back with 550. Now I'm not saying I didn't get low because I did, but I never ran out. Somebody offered me work in, in Canada while I was just out of the blue while I was in conversation, wanted me to roof their house, right? Found out, I don't even know how to bid it. I don't know how to bid Canadian money. I'm not legal to work up there, but yeah, I'll tell you, man, I did their job. <laughs> There's an old saying, do what you love to do because you truly love to do it and the money will come. I had to put that to the test. Either that or I would have ended up on Prozac. I just stopped pretending that money and stuff was my, was wealth. So one day I looked around, I thought, how much of this stuff do I really want or need? And the answer was not much. And I went out to my truck, put my bike, my motorcycle in my truck, my tools, put some clothes in there and drove away, man. I left the whole house there. As people said, you should sell that stuff. I'm like, that stuff is killing me. I need it out of my life now. You know what I mean? So I left it fucking there. I needed it gone now. It was killing me. My spirit was dying. I was trying to do something that I didn't know could be done. I'd never seen it done before. I had nobody's blueprint, nobody's track to follow, nobody to show me how to do it. So I had to like invent it. The bike got the name because when it turned 150,000 miles, I named it Betsy because when I was a kid, if you had an old Pontiac you bought for 500 bucks that just smoked and used a lot of oil, you always named it Betsy. The paint on the front of it, the clear coat, is all peeled off. It's got scratches and breaks. A lot of stuff on it doesn't work. You have to reach down and push a homemade button to get it started. It shows, man. It shows it's wear. Park it in a parking lot with a whole bunch of other bikes and it draws a crowd these days. <laughs> Trying to figure it all out how to do it was tough. I tried working carnivals for a while. 
I worked for one for a very short time in Texas. Another one was out in California, one in South Dakota, and they varied. The one in Texas was actually pretty good. They were pretty decent guys. The other ones I worked for, everybody was a crook. We took down one tower where you had, it was real heavy metal, and you had to unbolt the bottom of it and bend it over, and there's this kid sitting underneath it holding the brake on so as it wouldn't spin. If it would have fell on him, it would have killed him, and we're in the back of a semi-truck trying to catch it. When it came down, it was so heavy, it just went right through my hands. The brakes didn't work on anything. The equipment was like from the 40s. I would have never gotten that stuff. One of the carnivals I worked at, they told me the motto was, suck them in, take them for all they got, send them back to the ATM for more. I just, it wasn't my bag. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all? To feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. If you look at the pack on my bike, you will see a lot of stuff packed on the outside of it. And the outside is all house. I've got a tent that goes up quickly. You put down a ground cover, throw up this tent, and... Um, I've got a piece of foam rubber that's actually automotive. It's car seat foam rubber. I roll that out. I've got a down quilt with a cover on it and two down sleeping bags zipped together. When I come to a town and want to stay there, the first thing I do is find a good piece of land. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes I have to look to find a good private place. I've been in restaurants, factories, you name it. Five-man theaters. I was in a bowling alley once. The pins were all back there. Some guy was sleeping in that one. Once in a while, the cops wake me up. They find out I'm clean and my bike's legal. Then they're telling their whole attitude changes. They're like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm sleeping here, I'm traveling. I got, got this old Harley Davidson. Usually they just let me stay. I began to look for better spots and some of these roads would lead to abandoned houses. I see them everywhere. People just don't notice them, but I do because I find them so fascinating. I would find a, a road that has weeds going up the middle and maybe an old mailbox or being an abandoned house back there, I'd go camp. And then I would walk through the house for the fun of it. And they're like history, man, because people's lives are there. There's pictures of their children a lot of times, their furniture, their clothes are in the closet, their washer and dryer. Everything is still there on a lot of these, some of them. I've been doing what looks like you walked out of this room, man. The hats are still hanging up. I was in one where everything had stopped in the 70s. The razors was the kind that you have to open up and put a blade in it. Every utensil, there's food in the fridge. There was a plaque over the fireplace and it was from the city and they were expressing their condolences for the death of their daughter. She had died in a car accident. It just looked like when she died, time stopped there.
thing I got from them is the houses are there to make the human movie possible. It's just a backdrop. But once the people leave, the backdrop is torn down by Mother Nature on her time scale in a millisecond. Every drifter that I have known has been absolutely forced, so was I, and I'm really glad, to hone their social skills to the very best of their personal ability. They've been forced. There's the dream I didn't realize because I'm dreaming, oh, I'm going to be free and, and hit the road and see the world. I didn't realize I'm going to be in new towns all the time. I don't know anybody. It may be a long time before you make any friends. And guys come out here all the time. They're like, loneliness isn't going to be a problem for me. I like being alone. And it's always a problem. Try being truly homeless with no place to go to, dirty and friendless in different towns around the country for a while and see how long that you can be able to keep that pace up. Loneliness will kill you. You're not gonna ask me about money? I mean, that's the first thing people are curious about. And the first thing to consider is, is that there's a handful of guys who live like me. And because we don't have any bills and don't own much, the truth is we just don't have to work much. I tend to make my money these days working at the big motorcycle rallies. With infiltration of the Rolex rider, the uppie into the Harley scene, it's become big business. Rally, if you wanted to travel, you don't even have to have a motorcycle. A lot of inventors don't have bikes. And I started working on motorcycles. Work hard for a week, and then you get your money, and it's over, and you're done. Pocket full of green freedom, man, and you turn your, your eyes back to the highway. I read somewhere that the unknown is the cause of all fear. And I really believe that, that's been my experience. So when I go to do something new, I am always gonna feel fear. Well, another motorcycle hit me in Colorado this year. He was looking the other way and I stopped quick and he hit me. Bikes are busted up, my saddlebags in pieces. There's pieces of my bike sticking up on the into the air on it. He's screaming, he's on his knees screaming because his ribs hurt. I'm trying to pick this bike up in case we can ride again. And, and so I finally get the bikes picked up and off the road. He's he's hurt and he don't want to go to the hospital. And he's a full grown man and he's not acting funny. We stayed the night there and we traveled on the next day. I took duct tape and rope and tied my stuff back together. We stopped and stayed in an abandoned barn. I stayed one night there that night, but he stayed another night. He told me he'd catch up. He wanted me to go, because you never leave anybody. But he was like, no, I wanna, I wanna be here and do some thinking. And he went home. Sometimes it's tough. There's times when you're caught in a rainstorm, you're under a tarp, you're waiting a rainstorm out for a day or two, you got a bad spot, it's getting muddy, it's not fun, but it doesn't last. I left when I was in my 30s, and whatever you want to say, I did pretty good with women. I've had a few come travel with me, they knew what I was doing going in. You know, maybe in the back of their heads they was hoping they could get me to stay, but they knew. What happens is my love of the highway is more intense. I can't give my life up to play house. I'm just not going to do it. Because what happens is a room begins to feel like a box. I get inside and the thing's got four sides and a lid. I'm like, oh my God. One time I woke up in my tent and there was a guy pounding on my face. 
I just come out of a dead sleep, and I reach up, and I'm trying to hold off his hands. Right about this time, his old lady got up from next to me and screamed his name and tackled him out the tent. Fucker, give me a black eye. And later on, she came to me and she brought me money because he ripped my tent door. Brought me like 200 bucks. She's from him. He gave me like 200. I'm like, what the hell does he give me money for? Marla Garber, she lived on her motorcycle for eight years back before I was doing it. And she wrote for Supercycle Magazine, which is defunct. I just admired her from her magazine stories because she lived off her bike and she was always camping, going to Alaska. She traveled alone on a big, huge bike like mine with a little dog. And I chased her around some back then, too. I couldn't catch her because she was moving too fast. In 1995, she died in a motorcycle accident. After she died... I sent a couple things to her magazine. Easy Rider had bought her magazine out. And they hooked it to one of their magazines, to Biker Magazine. And next thing I know, I'm talking to that editor. And he began to print some of my stuff. And once I got more popular there, they started putting me in the big magazine sometimes. And the magazines are always the same. They don't think the readers are going to like the gypsy thing. They're like, no, they want bike features, right, where they put the chick on the bike, and they write some words about it, and they want rally coverage. They never think the readers are going to be interested in the whole gypsy thing. I swear to God, they never do. It's like their readers don't dream of hitting the road. Come on. So it wasn't until I started getting a response that they increased my word count to 3,000, and I began to be picked up and put in Easy Rider magazine, too. And they say the Earth's been here for four and a half billion years. You know how long it is? Such a phenomenal length of time. If you could take a stop-action camera and condense that whole event into a single-day, 24-hour movie, the entire time of man's existence on the planet would be just under a second. You'd never see your fucking house, man. It'd go from house to dirt to house to dirt so fast, you'd never see it. Anybody who's been through New Orleans knows, even if you've just come by on the freeway, you can see the graveyards. They have big graveyards. They don't bury the people in the ground. They bury them above ground because the water table's too high. So they put them in these little tombs. They say it's the last house you'll ever own. <laughs> and right off Canal Street, there was this graveyard there. And beside it, it was this thickly wooded area. And it looked like you can't even get in there. But when you get up close and lifted this branch, there was a little trail going in and there was a clearing back there. And I lived in that clearing for five weeks. I'd come home at night, I'd be setting up my little tent. I'd be like, good night, boys! Because I'm sleeping next to thousands of dead people, right? And you'd look in the graves and the, the pine boxes are disintegrated and all there is in there is skeletons. One day I walked over there and I reached in and I pulled a bone out of somebody and I looked at it, what was left of them, and I looked at it and I thought to myself, you know, this person has been dead for probably twice as long as they were alive. The entirety of whatever they did in their life is completely wiped out. The empire, whatever they built, is completely gone. Without a headstone even to mark this grave, they're erased. There's nobody who knows or even cares if this bone belonged to a man or a woman. Life is very short, man, and every dog has his day. And yours and mine, it's right now. And it ain't gonna last. If there's anything you want to do, you best do it. What town is this we're in?
Harlingen, Texas, real close to the border. Getting ready to cross into Mexico, spend some time down there in the sunshine. My plans to go to Mexico are always get my bike in the best shape I can. I just put a tire on it and fixed a couple things. Try to get as much money as I can, get the paperwork straight, and then cross the border and <laughs> see where I end up. I tend to always be afraid when I hit the Mexican border. I'm usually scared to death. Because the media here tries to scare you out of there. And I don't know if it's what they say is true or not, but I do know that when I go there, I don't, it's not my experience. In the city of Merida, I met these guys with motorcycles, and they all, they're like biker types, man. They're all little bikes, 125s, 150. Some of them got leather jackets. And so we, I got to meeting them all because they look like an adventure. One of them started calling me, and I started going out and running around with them all the time. And I'll tell you what, they would look at that old bike of mine, they think how beautiful that is. They all wanted to ride it. They wish they could have something like that. Make you realize how rich you are being down there. Some years ago, I was in the city of Oaxaca and I met a girl in a bar and she took me home and she didn't speak any English. She dealt in land, she bought and sold land. Not even houses, just land. It was a typical poor white boy meets rich Mexican girl story. <laughs> And it started off as uh, a sexual thing, but really quickly we began to realize we really liked each other. And she came down to my campground and with her SUV, loaded all my junk in there and moved me into her house. I lived up in that house with servants. She had all my teeth fixed. She bought a tire from my bike. What little bit of Spanish I know, I've learned mostly from being with her, right? Because that's the best way to learn another language through kisses. I'm living up, I'm up on the top floor and it's winter and I'm in my shorts and I'm typing on my computer and I got a nice bed and in the bathroom's got a bathtub with jets in it and I'm watching the TV with the movie discs everybody puts in them nowadays or maybe they don't anymore, I don't know. You know, I was there so long it just began to really just look normal. That whole thing of alarm clocks and mowing the lawn and dishes piled in the sink and vacuuming the carpet is so long ago now, it's almost like memories of high school. I don't think I could imagine going back to the life I used to have was so hard by comparison. There's seldom pressure, there's seldom a schedule, there's nothing you have to go do. So it's more for less. More stuff equals less freedom. I have found that it's like a scale. And one side you got freedom and the other side you got stuff. The more you put in one, the more you give up of the other. But only a blind man will believe he's gonna have both. The truth is, is I do run on blind faith. A guy in Florida took me to his house when I invited me to come stay there. He was all high on religion and I was glad because this guy was scary. He'd been special forces. He was a SEAL. He was a nice guy, but he was truly one of those scary people. And he asked me, you know what the definition of courage is? I said, man, I don't know what to tell you. He says, just try. I says, I think it would be when you feel it, when you're afraid and you just do it anyway. He says, that's exactly it. He says, that's what courage is. So it's hard to trust something you can't hold in your hand. To follow your heart and trust the fate of the road or to trust fate that you, everything's going to be okay is hard to do and can be terrifying. I got a call the other night from a kid wanting to do what I do. Call me and talk to me for probably an hour and a half. What do I need? I need a better bike. I need this. I need that. This is my advice on that one. Get everything you think you're going to need. Put it on your bike. You know, get it all put together. Pick your balls up. Drop them on the seat and hit the gas. Have some little faith and go.
I've been on the road for 20 years now with no visible means of support. I don't rob banks and I don't steal except for sliding into movie theaters. So now I'm out having this big life, these big adventures. And I mean, they're bigger than life to me, you know, coming into other people's worlds and experiencing them and then moving on to the next one. And I stay long enough to where I get to experience your world, not just skim it. What does it mean to me to be a drifter? I don't have an answer. All it is, you guys, don't you ever get tired of your world and you would just like to go somewhere else? Well, I do that. And then I ride somewhere else and I get the spirit comes alive again and you get to a new town and there's no routine. One phrase that does not fit is same shit, different day. You can't say that. But those who have it in the extreme aren't happy unless they're traveling, man. If, if that's what your spirit has, if that's what you are, you can't be happy doing nothing else. And you know, happiness is where you find it. Because in the, in the end, when you're on your, your deathbed, when you're going to take your last breath and you know it and you look back on your life, there's only one thing that matters. And that's, did you enjoy yourself more often than you didn't? I mean, nobody enjoys their life all the time. We all know that. But if you can answer yes to that question, you, you are a wealthy person. Who cares what you did? For us, it's keeping this bike running, man, and then on to the next thing, you know, the next adventure. You've been listening to Everything is Stories, a podcast brought to you by Oscilloscope Laboratories. This episode was produced by Garrett Crow, Mike Martinez, and Tyler Ray. The music in this episode was provided by Destruction Unit. If you hadn't heard of Destruction Unit before today, we're glad that we've been able to introduce you to them. You can find links to their music at our website, everythingisstories.com. While you're at the site, you can also find all of our past episodes, a way to subscribe to our newsletter and social channels, as well as photos taken to complement this episode, taken by Robert Johansson. You can find Everything is Stories on all the social media platforms and anywhere podcasts are available. Follow us, subscribe, and engage with us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. And remember, nothing comes from nothing, and everything is stories. Whatever else Graham Greene does, he always tells you a story. Not his old introspective musing and grousing and chewing your liver. Uh-uh, let's get on with the story. Keep me up tonight with this story you're telling me. I want to turn the page. All I ever wanted to be and all I think of myself as being is a storyteller. That's all. I just tell stories. <laughs>